Welcome to this week's Inspiring Leadership. And this is where we have the podcast partners, Graham and Jonathan, where we talk about different topics around the Inspiring Leadership Compass. And we're on to the third episode, which is on PQ, meaning and purpose. Um, your dharma, your calling, your vocation, why you do what you do. So let me introduce my partner, Graham. So Graham's just come back from climbing 12,000 feet up Mount Fuji. Uh, he's also, I think, one of the top podcasters in the world and certainly running his own podcast agency. And people who want to find someone to run their podcast for them, get in touch with Graham because he certainly does superb ones. I've just introduced someone and I think he'll be a great partner for them. So that's Graham. Graham, over to you. Jonathan, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Warm welcome. Looking forward to round three and all the feedback from the listeners as well. Keep it coming. Um, Jonathan really is the star of this show. He's made it happen. I'm really just here to kind of make up the numbers, I feel, sometimes in terms of our experience. Uh, but there's a lot of conversations that Jonathan and I have had generally around what we're going to talk about tonight. So tonight is, you know, and there's a lot of stuff we'll talk about for the first time, but we are very passionate about understanding purpose, working with people on purpose. And I think Jonathan has helped me think about you know, these questions, the bigger questions, and definitely challenges, hopefully for the listeners as well, challenges you to think about the bigger questions. That's why I like these conversations. I feel challenged. Mm. I feel like I might, if I don't answer them properly, he's going to make me do 20 press-ups. <laughs> well, you're the, you're the one who the extreme distance uh, running and training. Uh, I have deep respect for you. Let's have a look at those uh, questions from, from last week, a couple of questions from the audience. So yeah. a CEO from London asked, how do you lead new entrants to the workplace who have a very different sense of meaning and purpose from my own generation? That's a good question, isn't it, Graham? What, mm. what, what, what's your first thoughts about that? That, that generation coming in, the 20-year-olds the and maybe some of the early 30s, but may, those in the 20s, um, mm. what gives them meaning and purpose and the, the expectations they have compared to the generation who are now leading them and trying to get the organization staffed with these people? Yeah, there seems to be a lot of talk, doesn't there, in, in business circles about generational hiring. That there seems to be this issue, isn't there, with young people and their attitude towards work. Often, at the worst, it's talk about you know, let's talk about millennials and how they're lazy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, all that, the trophy kids. We've heard all that, and then at the best, it's you know, there's a problem with corporates that they don't offer what this generation wants. Mm. I think, you know, it's the truth is somewhere in the middle. I, I feel that there's a lot of companies who try and gamify, almost like turn it into a gimmick. You know, they try and give these young people ball pits in the office or free beer or, you know, cool things like the football tables and all that to, to kind of motivate their people. But ultimately, I, I think deep down, Jonathan, wonder what you think about this, but deep down what motivates that generation and our generation is not that different. I think they probably express it in different ways, but the underlying motivations to do meaningful work, I think are there. Then it's just a case of finding what that is. I don't feel that they're somehow a different species. So mm. I guess there's a lot of internal work, isn't there, for the leader to do that. Mm. Mm. No, I, I think it's a really interesting one. And I was going back and revisiting, uh, I think I was mentioning to you earlier, just been reading the book, The Habit of Excellence. Uh, give a shout out for Colonel Langley Sharp, who was at the Army Center of Excellence, and they have their own good podcast as well. Um, 
but he was looking at the younger generation they're recruiting to the military now and uh, was saying, you know, for some people, they go, they're expecting to be promoted every year. They don't want to uh, do some unpleasant things that the organization wants them to. They want to have control over their own life. Now, these are massive generalizations. He, mm. he knew that. Uh, and, and we know that everybody's different. But in it, we went back to John Adair's, uh, as they call it, the three balls, the spheres that overlap task, team and individual when you're leading. And and that there's much more emphasis now on the individual that that just do the task uh, in the old days, uh, make sure the teams looked after and the the good of the organization comes first and service to um, your organization is the paramount thing. Now people are going, no, what's in it for me? Mm. You know, uh, do you understand what gives me meaning and purpose? Do you understand what makes me tick, what my life story is, what's happened to me? Now, it's a fine balance before you start you start getting sort of the entitlement culture. Well, I'm, I'm entitled mm -hmm. to this and I need mm -hmm. this. And what about me, me, me? Yeah, but there's also responsibility as well. It's a two way process. It's a deal. Um, so I, I think that's a uh, I mean, there's much we can talk about that, isn't there? Should we, mm. should we go on to uh, the next one, which was that's a great question, by the way? Yeah, it, oh, it certainly it's, challenges us. It, it, it's it's one that people got to work on. Mm. Very, very hard. Otherwise, their organizations will be devoid. In fact, you just reminded me, um, I, I think it's best I don't say which uh, of the big four professional services firms, but one of them, one of the partners was saying to me, we have a real problem because we're going, come and be a partner in org our organization mm. after, tw after 20 years and you'll be on a million pounds a year. Yeah. But you have to stay with us and serve all the, all the ranks all the way up until you get there. And they go, I want it now. In that, mm. No, no, but you, you have to, you have to wait. You have to do service, get experience, grow, grow. I don't think I'm going to stay around for that long. You know, I'm not going to put up with it. So it's a problem they've got. They've generally got a problem. So uh, New York uh, COO there asked me, "What are the problems of goal obsession? You know, purpose and meaning, and goal obsession." And you've just been goal obsessed, taking your son up Mount Fuji. Yeah. Uh, in the freezing weather, that picture of you huddled up there, and you got your son up and down. How old is he? Sixteen. 16. Well, we'll him. Um, but, but what do you think are the problems of goal obsession, Graham? This is such a good question. Mm. I feel that we don't really, we, we, we find the answers ourselves. Jonathan and we've had conversations, haven't we, off record about this, that we are goal obsessed and we, we, know, we know the positives of it. It can be a really powerful driver in our lives, especially when you, we're younger. As we sort of mature, we get a bit more perspective we can realize it can be damaging as well there's finding a balance there i mean you, you talk about the mount fuji example being goal obsessed everybody talks about climbing a mountain with the with the aim of having that sunrise that picture perfect sunrise in their mind right and that's why you do it in that seems to be the goal and yet there's a there's a lot that happens around that you know i think about the climbing the overnighting in the lodges you've got to stay overnight on the mountain the conversations with my son 14 hours of walking you know seeing shooting stars and saw the milky way jonathan for the first time in years i hadn't seen the milky way because you know we live in a world where you don't see that anymore like i remember in my parents back garden when i was a kid i see it really really clearly and saw it for the first time 
And all those, you know, even meeting people, those kind of unexpected vignettes of their life that you see somebody chat with them, this 80-year-old woman that just climbed up to the top and was coming down, all those kind of things. Mm. To me, the problem with goal obsession is you hold all of that hostage to one potential outcome, which is like, oh, this is great sunrise. Actually, for me, sunrise was not that interesting. It was interesting for that moment, but it was everything around that that made it such a memorable journey for me. And that in a way is a microcosm of many ways of how I'm trying to live my life, you know, not doing it all for that sunrise, that, that one moment. And that's the dangerous goal, goal obsessions because, you know, some one day that sunrise becomes a sunset, right? And you go, oh, I don't have a lot left. What have I done? Oh, mm. you've done all these things, but what actually did you do? Mm. That's the kind of unraveling and almost kind of self talk that I have to go through. And I think we as gold obsessed people find that very difficult and it's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, how yeah. have you dealt with it? Yeah. Well, oh, it's just remind me of a, a, there's a very slightly cheesy, but quite profound video clip called the dash. And it goes, you know, Jonathan Bowman perks, 1962 dash 2022. Let's say if I died this year, as um, David died last year. Who knows, it might be. What's in the dash, that little dash between 1962 <laughs> and 2022? What, what have you done in that dash? And it literally is the dash. You're rushing from 1962. That's horrible. All the way to 2022. And, and have you made the most of it? And, and I think time and again, I've been very focused on achieving things, whether mm. mountain marathon world record and, and other things that, I've gone for doing airborne training with the paras and, you know, getting that, that the parachute wings and the putting the maroon berry on all this kind of, all the kind of thing that you've strived for. And then what, you know, and it's only now like you, I'm starting to look back and go, did I enjoy the journey? Did I mm. actually remember the journey? It's a bit like having food and just, I'm still in my military thing, right? You've got five minutes, go and have lunch, <laughs> come back on parade in a new uniform. You're like, and I'm just trying to eat food as quickly as I can. And I go, did I inhale that? Or do I actually remember what I tasted? And this, oh, this obsession about getting onto the next thing. Next, rather, next. Rather being next, next, rather than being in the moment. I mean, you know, the, the Buddhists, I'm, I'm listening to two, two fascinating books on mindfulness and, and Buddhism. And, and both have taught me an awful lot. I'm just going to uh, look up which ones they are because they were, yeah, uh, the um, the joy of living mm. and joy on demand. And uh, the joy on demand was a guy who was a uh, did sort of mindfulness in Google. Uh, he was a tech, and and uh, the other one was was really more about a, a guy who was a, a Buddhist monk. And mm. and it's this. He said the Buddha said, you know, the purpose of of life. Everybody's seeking to be happy. And avoid pain, happiness and pain. Those mm -hmm. two things have, have give us purpose. Uh, and also the other thing I was just thinking about, um, the Stoics with old Marcus Aurelius. Uh, and, and he was, I think, he had some lovely views. The fruit of this life, Marcus Aurelius said, is good character and acts for the common good. This idea of, mm. you know, are we, why, why are we here? Or, you know, where were we on the planet? You could, mm. you know, at the fundamental evolutionary level, someone said it, it's just to pass along our genes. You know, it's why we strive for success. You know, lust for sex keeps the species going. But it's got to be much more than that. Sort of, it's got to be some unselfish things and why we do 
what we do. And and I think this this whole thing about girl obsession, you you can get so carried away. And I know I have. Mm. Um, and so I think it's a really great question that guy in New York asked. You know, the problems oh, of girl obsession is, is that we don't enjoy the moment we're in now, and we can't cope with changes. You know, Churchill mm. was the one who has said. Uh, you've changed your opinion and he said the honorable gentleman may say i've changed my mind but when the facts change i change my opinion what do you do huh what do you do and and because it's the point that sometimes that goal we're going for in a business you know i was i was i don't know i was 20 years in the military but i was going to have a full career to 55 hoping i was going to become a general well it became Mm. pretty clear at about 20 years if not a bit earlier that i wouldn't be a general and it wasn't really my kind of career. So that obsession about that career, which I get 20 years of my life to, which is very much about meaning and purpose, I'll talk about that another time, then meant I'll do my MBA and go and do something else. And here I am. Yeah. And this is my new meaning. Inspiring leadership is my life purpose. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. Going on to that, let's make it personal. Um, Great question. Okay. Uh, Thank good, you for good, that. Yeah. Go obsession. Thank you. Um Graham, you know, for you and I, how can you build a mission-focused business, one with a clear mission, vision, and focus on executing a strategy that you've designed? Any any thoughts on that one? Because people get fluffy and they talk about oh, yeah, purpose, but but you know, a business you've got to got to nail it and you've got to deliver. Mission-focused business. Oh, this is a great question as well. I there's a lot of time spent a lot of hours, a lot of energy spent in business thinking about purpose and missions. And I think we have to do it in the right way that, you know, it's kind of like you, you talk about like the Marcus Aurelius quote, like just the, the act of common good, if you like, you know, just doing good. Mm-hmm. And in many ways that can be a purpose. You don't have to have this, you know, game changing universe denting purpose to be worthy. Mm-hmm. That's the key here. And it's kind of, there, there is a real space for a company that just does good. And I go back to, I mentioned it in episode one, I think, Jonathan, about Toyota. Mm. And, you know, it's just focus on being better every single day and serving your community. That's their goal. You know, it's not like we're going to change the world. We're going to put a man on Mars. None of that. It's just, you know, it, it's a very, in, in some ways, there's a bit of a Japanese Zen approach to it, which is, you know, it's just that focus and dedication to the everyday and the mindfulness of doing that. It's like, you know, the sushi chef, what they call in Japanese, the shokunin, which is like the, you know, the Japanese craftsman, you know, whether it's sushi or, you know, carving a sword or, you know, that, that love and that dedication to the love of the craft is a purpose, is a mission in itself. Mm. And we as business leaders can do that. We don't have to say, yeah, I want to cure cancer or I want to, you know, like, you know, solve world hunger. That's fine. These are okay. But you can do so many things just by being good and being better every single day. And, you know, showing a love and mindfulness for what you do and the people around you as well. To me, that's a really honorable mission. And in many ways that leads to all these good things. But aren't you, I mean, I get the sense you're doing that in your podcast agency, in the podcast work you do, the, the lives that you touch, the people you connect with, the storytelling you do. Are you not? Mm. I mean, making it personal for you, aren't you mission focused? 
Yeah, it, it's. I don't have an idea of like a big mission. To me, it's like the small mission. It's the small purpose. Every day, wake up and try and be better. Try and like. I, I really feel you know like every day we have a choice, Jonathan, and it's like, you know, I, I feel that every day we get to choose between love and fear, mm. right? And and you know, it's that choice, that conscious choice, and purpose means to do stuff with intent. You know, do the way you interact with somebody, the way you talk to a client, the way you, you know, work with your employees, everything that you do, do you choose the path of love and fear? And I don't mean love like, you know, free hugs. You know, we're not talking about that type of love. We're talking about that sort of, you know, real care, compassion for people and what you do, you know, like not doing everything by the contract. You know, it's not all going to be decided by the legal agreement. It's that relationship with people the love for other people. And I think that's the choice that you can make. Mm. And I feel that that is a really powerful mission, but it, you know, it means putting yourself out there and maybe being a bit vulnerable as well. Mm. But, and you know, you don't have all the answers. You don't, you know, why are you doing this? Well, maybe you don't have to have a why answer. It's like, um, you know, a, a quote, I just found this quote where I was, I was thinking about it. And then I, Checked it out whilst I was going up Mount Fuji. A Richard Feynman quote. Feynman is a famous physicist, mm -hmm, physicist mm -hmm. and very influential in the yeah. 20th century. And he was saying that, you know, I don't have to know an answer. I don't feel frightened by not knowing things, by being lost in a mysterious universe without any purpose, which is the way it really is as far as I can tell. He says, nobody ever figures out what life is all about and it doesn't matter. Explore the world nearly everything is really interesting if you go into it deeply enough mm. i think that's the mission just commit to that and mm. you you know you don't have to have it all worked out but mm. it will work out I, I really i like i like richard Feynman and, and his work and that is profound and it's just made me think that you know if i was taking that question how can i build a mission focused business one with a clear mission vision and focus on executing um there's been times in my life, you know, before I went into the army aged 18, I didn't really know what my life purpose and mission was. I was just trying to get my O-levels done and my A-levels and get get to maybe go to university. But in the end, I didn't go until much later on. Um, so maybe if that was a goal, I failed to achieve that one and, and something else happened. So one door closed and another one opened. And But then the army gave me 20 years of a very clear mission vision, purpose, you know, this is why we do what we do. We're defending the country, civil uh, military aid to the civil power, whatever it might be, peacekeeping in Bosnia, peacekeeping in Northern Ireland. Um, that was very clear. And then I, I left and, and went into the consulting world, PricewaterhouseCoopers, IBM, you know, Penner as a managing director and now my own business. And, and actually have found on reflecting that inspiring leadership, inspiring leadership in you, in others, and everybody listening, you know, how can I inspire you to be uh, a better leader so that those who follow you around you, or you're a good follower, lead better. So the end result is people feel a sense of meaning, purpose, uh, accomplishment, enjoy their lives more, that sense of happiness and, and avoiding pain that the Buddha talked about. Um, so I think it, it takes work, but a lot of time people don't know what it is and, or they have some ethereal idea. This is our purpose and this is our mission. They just stick up the wall, but they don't live it. And they certainly don't know how to turn it out 
into a this means these projects with these work streams delivering this over time when they're a big business. But smaller businesses, you know, if I could inspire a few CEOs who make a difference in their organizations, my work is done. Um, and I feel I, I've, I've, I've made my contribution to society before I die in the next few years, however many that is. Uh, so there's a lot there, isn't there? I'll, I'll move on to the next question, um, which is sort of linked to that. Uh, Graham, how do you strive to find meaning and purpose in your private life and at work, hmm. giving you a more fulfilling, satisfied life? What, what's the what's the mix? My private life, finding purpose. It, to me, it's like an extension of what I do in work and vice versa. That, um, you know, like I, I, we sort of set out individually, don't we, on these missions? Like, I love your story about, you know, like the army 20 years you can see that sort of tenure and that growth and then you know you have this pivot at some point we all kind of go through these journeys in life and it doesn't go according to the initial plan right nobody's that but you pivot and you're you're flexible and resilient and that's something we're going to talk about isn't it so the, the mission really is you know like finding purpose and mission for me is like just doing good and being right here right now trying to do good what I think is good and be a good person and I think that's it it's like you as an individual can you be a good person you know do you act out of moral integrity and that the mission evolves out of that right mm. you know you talk about the army defending the country or going <clears throat> to Bosnia that's because they have a moral obligation or belief in protecting people right that's the idea, isn't it? That's their moral compass, is that we believe in these certain human values which are not, you know, you can't compromise, right? They're not negotiable. So we will protect people for that. And I think individually, you know, whether you're a father or whether you're a husband or whatever role you play in your life, you have this sense of moral obligation. And I think that then it's just down to you on a daily basis to say, how can I be a good person? Mm. What is being a good person? And I know you're, you've quoted a few Buddhist texts. I found one myself, um, Alan Watts, who I do really admire in terms of his writing. He's sort of more Zen when it comes to Buddhism, but he wrote something about purpose, which I think really encourages me about my daily basis. And he said, uh, the meaning of life is just to be alive. It's so plain and so obvious and so simple. And yet, and here's your dash. Everybody rushes around in a great panic as if, it were necessary to achieve something beyond themselves. And I love that. It's like, okay, it's okay not to achieve something beyond yourself because you can achieve so many things just by trying to be a good version of yourself. Mm. To me, that's an honorable mission mm. and something we can all aspire to. Yeah. Uh, oh, that, that's very pertinent for me. Uh, and when I look back over my 60 years so far, I'm, I'm much prouder of the life I'm living now, which has that greater alignment between how I am in the work I do and how I am at home with Lee and my four children, grandchildren, that I am much more aligned now. And I can look myself in the mirror and go, I, I actually like what I see. Whereas there was probably times when I was younger, when I was so obsessed about doing my career and climbing the greasy pole of promotion to major and this kind of stuff. That I was so that I wasn't quite as good at home as I should have been if I was following the same kind of rules at work. Mm. Uh, and 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 I look back, you know, I 
I had a failed marriage. I, I didn't make that one work. I wish I had, um, but it wasn't to be. But that was some of my behavior led to that. And so you do have to look yourself at the, as they call that, that, that uh, poem about the man in the mirror. And you mm. know, do you like what you see? And if you're living your life on purpose rather than off purpose, then you are aligned and, and, and your private life and your work life, it's like what I call it work-life integration. It's not work-life mm. balance, never balance. Yes, it's always out absolutely. of balance. Particularly someone like you and I who are sort of workaholics, we're not completely Forget it. But we, it's not going to be balanced, but can you make sure that you bring the same person with you mm. each? Mm. And when I meet clients who I'm coaching, CEOs who say, well, at work I'm like this, but at home I'm completely, I go mm. like, that's a problem that's wrong yeah because it's at some stage it's going to blow up you can't live these two lives like having sort of two families and not telling each other about and <laughs> people I have done that yeah 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 i won't mention any politicians like that but it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like that kind of thing they, they will get found out in the end and, and it was uh william mccraven i was listening to him and he was great stories that he tells admiral william mccraven make your first make your bed uh, and and he said you know when a young lad he lied to his dad and his dad mm. didn't tackle him on it, but he just gave him the evidence and put it beside the bed and just said <laughs> nothing. Uh, he was eight, eight, 11 at the time. And, and he learned the lesson then about don't lie because you get found out. You know, I, I think I've, I've done some things I'm ashamed about over time. And now I'm much more comfortable with how I am. And if anybody woke me up in the middle of the night and asked me a question, I could answer it. And it was, it was, it is the, the truth. And I think that is really important about, living a life now living your truth yeah yeah it's not a lie it's the truth we're all doing that to some degree aren't we and we're encouraged to do it by society like you know to be that version of yourself which you're not to got the greasy pole all those kind of things you know advertising encourages to be like this to be you know live out stories which aren't our own right mm -hmm. and that i think the real interesting part of this is that we all do it and yet we don't realize how much energy we expend doing it, having these two versions of ourselves. And a friend of mine said to me a few years ago is when I was recording YouTube videos and I thought, oh, should I do it like this? And he said to me, look, don't make two versions of yourself. And it was just so simple what he said to me. And yet, bing, you know, the light went on. I thought, oh my God, that's like really profound. And I thought, because if I was just myself, I don't have to use all this energy to create this second version of me you know mm -hmm. one version is enough right mm -hmm. and one version is a lot of energy and a lot of trouble so having two yeah and i think that's something that we can work on that comes to purpose as well though right surely it's just being true to that one version of yourself and, it, and i have experienced that with you on the podcast so when we chat as as friends on a call and we're not being recorded and then we come into the recording I, I'd like to think we're actually just the same. Same, so yeah. We're talking, but 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 yet, as I as I get certified as a, a CEO's world class speaking coach, which is my next thing, I've got yes. a, a group of people already who want to be trained by me as a speaker, uh, as to be CEOs who can do better speaking. I do find when I'm doing my own version of a, a keynote speech, sometimes I catch myself putting on this kind of voice, and I go, "What's that about?" <laughs> What voice is that? Who's it's that? your game voice. Yeah, like, Here he is. Something <laughs> Hello, everybody. Like, no, well, maybe that's no. just a bit of, that's a just, maybe, you know, it's a bit of showboating. It's a bit of fun. I don't yeah. think that's, if it's like, if you did karaoke, you would, you would pretend to be 
some rock star, right? But yeah, yeah maybe that's okay. Maybe that, I mean, that that's sort of the harmless version of it, right? I, I but so. if you went on there and told stories that weren't true or try to be yeah. something you weren't, yeah. that would be different. No, I, I think you're quite right. And it is about all this about meaning and purpose. Is this about finding <clears throat> your element? And, and this is where I think I've mentioned the book by St. Ken Robinson, who you love as mm. well. And, and if anybody hasn't watched him, he, he does the top TED uh, speech, uh, speeches. Right, yeah. He's got more than anybody else. Sadly, he died a couple of years ago, but he was, was, he's always been one of my heroes. And he's sort of come on and he, I think he had a sort of club foot or a, a, a reinforced foot with a platform shoe. And he, he'd take the mickey out of himself and he'd just yeah. have you in stitches. It just laughter all the way through. But he was telling in his book, uh, Finding Your Element, which is a, which is a good listen. Um, he, he sort of, he was brought in and, and watching a young girl, the parents were worried, they brought him to this I think psychiatrist because they had special needs and the girl was a problem. And, and, and the psychiatrist put on the radio and left the young girl in the room. So we'll be back in a few minutes. And they went outside and they watched round the corner and as they'd gone out of the room, the music, she got up, she started to, to dance to the music. <laughs> and, and the psychologist said, your daughter's not a problem. She hasn't got any special needs. She's a dancer. She just wants to dance. Take her yeah. to dance school. She then became the one who did all the choreography with Andrew Lloyd Webber and Cats oh, wow. and all the rest. And she was world-class dancer. But, but that was her element. And I, yeah. think, I think we've got to find our element. I, I think, mm. you know, I, I know I'm in my element here with you and mm. you know, coaching CEOs and executive teams. And uh, that's when I come alive. And I think meaning and purpose is when we do come alive. And, and there's many things I'm awful at. And I, I struggle hard at it. It's not mm. really me that vi vi vicious circle of, you know, not good at it, don't do it well, down I go. And other mm. things which I'm really so easy. I love it, I enjoy it, so I do. And I keep learning, like, you know, the work we're, you, we're doing here, you're constantly teaching me things. I'm reading up stuff, you know. We both prepare for this and, and mm. learn more in the process. What, what do you think? Oh, yeah, all of the above, Jonathan. Yeah. That's like, yeah, you've you've summed it up. Uh, the, the, the constant learning, just being real as well, that point about the things recognizing what you don't like and what you don't want to do. And I, I think a key part of the purpose as well is just like being very conscious. I think being aware and conscious is, is really underrated in terms of, you know, like living a, a fulfilling life, being aware of the things you say, being aware of the influences on you. You know, who, who is the, the stories that, that are infiltrating your head? Where are they coming from? Where are you getting those from? Who's shaping your life and shaping your narrative these are really important being aware of that being awake to it and the stuff that you don't like and the stuff you do like and then that's the choice that you make between you know doing more of one and less of the other it's that simple mm. you know making that choice i you know years ago when i started my sort of odyssey of traveling the world after selling a business you know and trying to find my purpose if you like I thought my purpose would come from living on tropical islands and taking all these amazing Instagram sunsets, which I did, by the way, but that didn't give me any sense of fulfillment. And it, I, things that make me happy and are things like riding a bike, who would have believed it? Or talking to somebody like a kindred spirit in a different country like this, right? Mm. So then the question is, is like, 
life purpose is to find not necessarily that, but design a life that enables you to do more of that. And that's it. You know, maybe purpose is a verb as opposed to a, a state that you find or achieve. It's like something you have to keep doing. You know, like that sort of common good, Marcus Aurelius thing. It's like that common action, common decency on a daily basis. That's mm. purpose, I believe. Yeah, well, I mean, for me, you have a clear meaning in purpose. As a storyteller, you are fabulous as a storyteller. And getting other people to tell their stories and then and then making meaning out of things, because that's primeval. That goes back to mm. you know, generations of people out on the Serengeti wandering around with a stick and a, and a bladder uh, on a shoulder full of water. <laughs> uh, not their own I bladder. still do that. Uh, and, and just passing on stories. Yeah. And, and, and it is so appealing to us. We do love the stories. Mm. But, um, you know, the, the military, they used to have a saying, you know, swing the lantern and pull up a sandbag and you know let me tell you a story <laughs> i and, love and, that and and i i think back to that that uh, book that i was enjoying the habit of excellence was um they talk about in the military uh, and it resonates very well that we talked about pride people and purpose and and mm. it was a, a profession of arms with a sense of purpose but with unlimited liability not many people are asked to give their life for their job and so it, it made leaders have an acute sense of consequence of what they did every day and every action they take, because they had wow. this deep sense of obligation that they're responsible for the safe return of every soldier to his mm. or her families and friends. And it was like there's, there's this timeless ability of leaders to think clearly, act ethically and lead confidentially. It's what we call values based leadership. And, mm. and I don't know what uh, resonates for you there, but I, I just found that during my time in the military, and, and it's a family you never leave. So you, you, you will always, you can take the man out of the military, mm. but you can't take the military out of the man because you've, you've served and you've got a connection. So I've made friends with people in the American military and things like that when I was in Peru to uh, servicemen, a Green Beret and a, a tank sergeant, both amazing guys with their own experiences. Mm. Uh, and, and so that had a clear sense of purpose and meaning. You knew exactly what you were doing. And, and if you didn't have a sense of purpose to every action that you did or you asked people to do, they were putting their life on the line. Had mm. you not busted your ass to find out why they've got to do that? Just like, because I say so isn't good enough. And, and so I think we owe this to everybody we're with and to ourselves. Why am I doing this? Mm. And, and, and what should I stop doing? You know, what, what, what do you think? Yeah, that, that part about the unlimited liability, that really hits you. Mm. You realize, I mean, maybe in days gone by and different eras, that wasn't such an issue because they were literally cannon fodder. Mm. You know, we're talking like pre-World War II military. I mean, you know, throwing them over the trenches, right? Mm. These days it's different, you know, these people have lives, they have families and, you know, they have a voice as well. That's crazy, isn't it? That, that people would do that and risk their lives mm. nowhere else. Yeah. And that is why, uh, as an instructor at the Military Academy at Santos, which I, I still think it is one of the best leadership development centers in the world. Yeah. Uh, and I know, I know, you know, West Point would be proud of what it does as well in America. But you have to get it right because yeah, you're leading people. You're leading people potentially to their death 
or mm. getting to, to do unlimited liability things for the sake of the good of the country and others. And, and they would die for colleagues. I mean, I was listening to stories of people in, you know, the Korean War and stuff like that. They've lost yeah. it all, all surrounded by about a million Chinese. And, and they would still rush and, and take a position, even though they'd been shot. Uh, and they would get themselves up again and have a go again. Why? Why do mm. that kind of thing? Now, clearly people go, I can't relate to that because that's just the military. But but could you find some way in the work you do, if you're listening, mm. that, that you are prepared to encourage people to willingly give discretionary life energy? They choose to give it to you because you're doing the right thing for the organization or for the customer or for other people or for society. You might be in you know, the services, the fire, the police, the ambulance, doctors, nurses, uh, whatever it might be. But you're doing things for the good of others. Mm. rather than short-term self-interest just so you can make a lot more money and have a Ferrari. Yeah. I would say that, you know, the challenge, we, we sort of mentioned this when we talked about morals as well, Jonathan, sort of bridges into purpose, is that we do individually and collectively have a purpose. Like any group that you're in, there is a sense of fealty and loyalty to each other, that band of brothers. That's natural in groups where there's that sort of shared, you know, um, shared sense of belonging, right? Whether that's in a military group or wherever it may be, even in like a, you know, a group of graduates who are good friends or people who start businesses together, right? There's always, I mean, there are different kind of levels. It's not like they're going to die, but there's a sense of connection, right? The problem is I find that we lose and this is what you talk about off purpose. We lose our way. Mm. You know, we get put off purpose. You know, we forget why we do this. And the reason why I guess the military is so good at bringing it back to the compass is because they're constantly being reminded and checked. You know, if you're in a, you know, a, a combat situation, you know, if you're off target or off base or off mission, slightly things go wrong right people can die mm. in that situation like in a business you might not have those kind of consequences and it may take weeks or months before you feel it especially the big businesses and organizations and god forbid talking about government agencies for example mm. you know it may take years before they realize the rot is there but in a, in military it's there straight away somebody's down because we were you know, off base, off target, off mission, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that I did a podcast last week with a chap from the RAF, ex-pilot, and he, we were talking about off course, you know, mm -hmm. being off course. And he said, because he was a pilot, that when he was a pilot, every five minutes they did their field checks, F-E-E-L. And the military loves the acronyms, doesn't it? They have mm -hmm. all their kind of terminology and the checks and stuff like that. You know, it's like fuel, electric, engine, line, I think, or landing gear, whatever, line of sight. You know, every five minutes he would check. Every five minutes check. And like, you know, they would have the warning lights telling you, but they would get it drilled into them, drilled, like do this, do this, do this, do this. And then you can see that in the military. So when you're in that kind of, fight or flight situation you're not oh, what do i do what do i do it's like almost a natural response isn't it you know how to all kind of spread out take cover or whatever it may be it's all drilled into you and bringing this back into the world of business i think therefore purpose is so important if you believe in purpose and that you want to have a purposeful organization to have those habits that keep bringing you back and checking and checking and checking 
you know, the purpose is found not in the big statements, but in the everyday, the small activities and the small actions. Mm. So, so right, and, and that resonated very strongly with me, your, your pilot and his experience. Obviously with my father being a pilot and he was killed with faulty equipment. The blade came off the turbine, sliced through his aircraft. He got the other guy out, but he died because of the misfiring of his ejector seat. Bad, bad manufacturing, killed him. But my daughters for my 60th, Harriet and Brani, very kindly paid for me to go and have an hour's flying because they said, look, our, our <laughs> grandfather, your dad, was a pilot. And so have nice. you not ever wanted to fly yourself? And, and I've been up in aeroplanes and obviously I've jumped out of them normally before they land, which is, you know, <laughs> where it is or a helicopter or whatever it might be. Um, but it was a really special uh, moment to, to be up over the Lincolnshire countryside along the coast. And for about an hour, uh, I had about 40 minutes where I was at the controls flying and I and I could think of my father. But but the pilot who took me up was uh, ex Cathay Pacific, ex uh, RAF fighter jet pilot. Uh, lovely guy, we got on so well. But as you say, he got out his instructions. And even though he's 16, he's been doing it all his life, he go, I'm just gonna go through this, check this, check. And he'd yeah. go through line by line. Yeah. So nothing was missed. And when we came down and we were turning off, check, 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 all the way down. And, and I think it's a good reminder to us, you know, whether you're at the NHS or doing systems like that, where uh, in the operating theater with you know, Adam Brooke, who you and I know, you know, he, mm. he and the guys, the nurse are checking through as everything done. Mm. Um, so that there isn't some scalpel left in the poor in the poor patient or whatever it is. Where's the scalpel? Oh my God, you know. We've, <laughs> we've checked everything. I, I joke, but sometimes in the, in the past- It happens. It has happened. Um, and uh, I think it's really important for us in having a meaningful life that we make sure we are checking we're on course, mm, mm. Uh, as, the, as the guy was saying, we're not off course and we are living our life on purpose because it's very easy just to drift a little yeah. a little bit off. And, and by the end of it, you're way, way off. You're, you're miles off course. Um, let's come on to the next phase, our, our role models that, that uh, mm. you, you got me to think about last uh, the very the very first session. Um, and, and how they created meaning and purpose or how they found meaning in the work they did in their life. And indeed they give meaning and purpose to us after their death. So mm. do you want to talk about your, your, uh, your, your crew and, and what? My crew, who, who do we have on the list? So you had yeah. Robert Kennedy, you had Martin yeah. Luther King, you had Greta Thunberg, you had Mr. Honda, you had Rosa Parks, Bill Gates, Tim Cook and Steve Jobs. All right. Okay. Any of those that come to mind? Oh, all of them. Mm. Uh, yeah. So I, I would like, I mean, Robert Kennedy, again, um, the only reason I'd like to talk about him is because everybody knows his brother. And he was the, the unknown Kennedys, or even though he stood for president, was assassinated, unfortunately, like his brother. Um, I, I really feel it's an interesting story. He's a very flawed man, uh, certainly not you know, perfect, had his faults. Uh, but in terms of purpose, you, he had a moral compass. You know, he started out, live, you know, the son of a very large Irish white family, middle class. I think his dad was a judge. His mum was some sort of like high society wheeler dealer, very much a driving force in the Kennedy family, right? And uh Obviously, they became politicians, and his brother got became president, and he was kind of like the legal advisor and the campaign advisor and all of this, right? 
And it's interesting because like at the time the civil rights movement was kind of kicking off in the US and you had people like Martin Luther King emerging and so on. And uh, at the beginning, the Kennedys are very much not interested in entertaining this new force. And, you know, they, it was still very much a white, um, you know, the Democrats were very much a white party at the time. Mm. They didn't really care for that sort of, that electorate, right? Um, but over time, he, you know, after the assassination of his brother, he he changed. You know, that's the change, that pivot point that you talked about. You have that mm. journey and then you realize actually, you know, the moral compass and what's actually happening with you change. Mm. Like your moral compass takes you in a different direction to this narrative that you've been living, this purpose, if you like. The moral compass leads you. And he became very much an a, a advocate for civil rights, um, not just for blacks, but also for Hispanics in, in America. And, you know, he, if you look at him in his later part of his career, he, he very much is very liberal, um, very progressive and well ahead of his time. And it was just such a horrible shame that he was assassinated, right? And maybe that's why he was assassinated. But I think that's just a good example. I think anybody that I think anybody that has opportunity and assets and influence and power and uses that for common good rather than their own personal gain, I think is somebody who is a good leader and leads on purpose. And there are not many people who do that, but he would be one. And I'm sure. Yeah, you and could just stay with that. Lots of examples. Why no, not? no, stay with that, Graham, because. You know, without mentioning any politicians, we're, we're finding these days. <laughs> I know where you're going, Jonathan. But we're Although finding these days that we desperately need good politicians who have that sense of bringing meaning and purpose for the long-term good of the country, whether yeah. it be whether it be growing country to make it better, rather than their short-term personal gain. Hmm. Uh, or after they like Tony Blair, after he's left, he's doing some good things, but he's also making millions. From charging yeah. massively high fees however he does have a foundation to be fair to him and i think he is doing a, a lot of good to try and make up for the iraq war and and all that stuff that he did with uh, bush um so so what can we do to get leaders to be back to to doing things for the common good with with a calling and a cause rather than just self-serving while they're there and what they can get after they've been in to, because they become famous. I don't know. What's your thoughts? How, how can those leaders understand the common good if they've never lived it? I mean, you're dealing with people. I know who you're talking about. There are a group of politicians who come from an elite set of society. You know, they, they never understood. Like you see these interviews with like Rishi Sunak, right? You know, he said, "Oh, I, I don't know anybody that's working class." You know, what kind of a response is that? That that's that's the problem, isn't it? Don't you feel that you, you mm. can, unless that person's actually walked in their shoes, how can you get them ever to think about what they're feeling? Uh, and that was what was so very good. With, let, let me take one from my list, General the Lord Dannett, Richard Dannett, who, who I've interviewed episode 200. Um, well, again, a, a, a human with his, with his own failings, he had many of the real qualities, definitely of an inspiring leader, probably that he's influenced me more than anybody else as sort of father figure in, in the absence of my own father. Because of his high moral uh, integrity, mm. he had a strong Christian, still has a strong Christian faith, trying to leave a legacy, things better than he found it. So the, in the army's case, he talked about the army's covenant with society, 
that, that we have this unlimited liability, we will potentially die for you. But when any of the soldiers are mm. injured or killed or their families are bereaved, please, the country, look after them, find a way of, of caring for them and not just in financial ways, but just make sure they're looked after. Mm. And, and I think you do find people like that who have a, doing something for the good service, serve to lead, good of the country. And, um, you know, when he dabbled with politicians and tried to get involved, he got his fingers burned because mm. they, they, they couldn't keep their integrity. Um, and, uh, you know, it's written about, so it's not, not something I'm speaking out of turn. But I, I think if only we could get back to, you know, people like him who he remembered still the corporal who he served with mm. on the streets of Northern Ireland who was injured and he looked after him and he made sure he was OK. And he kept that relationship with him all the way through. And so and he would go to the, 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 the toughest parts of Middlesbrough where we recruited from and knew where they lived and what they did and what their lives were like. And they both sat in a trench together in the pissing mm. rain sharing stories and so he could relate to people from any background and and that's the mark of a very special man or woman as a leader he's been there right yeah he's been if you've been in the situation like with your men if you if the men know that that <laughs> you know if it's the front line i know we're not fighting trenches anymore but if you're in the front line he he would go over the top as well yeah he, he, know, they, they would go up his book's called Leading from the Front, and, and it's exactly what yeah. he did. And just like Florence Nightingale, a, a female leader, mm. you know, she was brought up in privilege uh, and many times got the calling, as it were, to go and help and do nursing. But the family stopped her. You know, we're not going to have, yeah. you know, nurses are prostitutes. You know, that's what they would end up doing to make enough money and this kind of stuff. You know, they were just the family was so uh, blinkered about what yeah. was possible. And that wasn't the thing in Victorian era when you were wealthy upper class you did but in the end she broke away she was a rebel mm -hmm. and she went to, and she was with these soldiers holding their hands as they're in the last stages of dying in the Crimea telling her their story crying while she was mm -hmm. with them she knew what they went through she lived in the squalor so I do think you have to you have to be able to relate to other people mm -hmm. in order to lead them you need to know their story you need to as you said walk a mile in their shoes do um, what's right that's the moral integrity, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's I think the the the, the purpose is, is that after my, my viewpoint, I know we're slightly different. I think at the end of the day, the the effect is the same. But the purpose is the the product, the byproduct of that moral integrity of somebody who can sit with the man and comfort them, right? Because she knows that's the right thing to do, and she knows she's it, she will have to face criticism to do that. That's moral integrity, and that's like the small picture, rather than oh, I'm gonna go out and change the world. She never decided to do that. That was never the plan, right? Yeah. Well, well uh, I think we've, we have a similar view. I just look at it from an, another perspective, which is that without the foundation of what we talked about first, which is MQ, moral quotient, that true mm. north, that, that values and beliefs, what you will and won't do, and the service orientation of legacy, which we're going to do at the very end in, the, in episode nine, LQ, then PQ, that sense of meaning and purpose, becomes quite self-serving because you've got mm. no moral compass and you're not really interested in leaving a legacy. You just want to make as much as you can for now. You'll say the right things, but people smell it, don't they? They know if you really genuinely care about them or if you're bullshitting them. And this is where many of the politicians are struggling so much 
They get away with it. <laughs> That's the thing. They can get away with it, Jonathan. That's yeah. why they're attracted to politics. Mm, mm. What else? We're going to make I, some enemies here. I, I think we may. I, I definitely won't go for uh, for um, uh, local councillor. Um, <laughs> what about uh, Martin Luther King or Honda or uh, Martin Luther King? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, somebody like anybody that can stand up. I, again, you know, leadership fundamentally is about choosing the path of most resistance. Anybody that can do that, I think, is somebody who leads with moral integrity. And that is the purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily setting out to you know, change the world, but just by acting, being a good person. Mm -hmm. I definitely think I can't. I mean, again, I'm sure if you dig into his story, there's lots of faults. But mm -hmm. yeah. what about and yourself, then, Jonathan? Where, where do you fall? You've got your list. Who would you say would uh, be living a life or lived a life on purpose? Well, I, 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 it, is, it is a politician, actually. It's Barack Obama. Uh, oh. Not not everybody's cup of tea. Um, clearly, if you're if you're as polarised as society, isn't it that we've got populism, polarisation, and post-truth, which is the the problem. But but I found there was someone there who really did believe in what he was doing. Okay, mm. it wasn't perfect in any, any sense, but but he certainly was a statesman, and he did have integrity, mm. and he did have uh, a, a sense of care for the people he was leading and what he wanted to do. Um, which sort of takes me on to the next one, which is inspiring organizations, our next phase. Mm. And, and I, I've clearly talked about the British Army, because I think that, mm. that that is an organization with a clear sense of mission and purpose, and it wants to do, to do good. Some armies, of course, have got corrupted, and they've got where the generals take over the running of a country, or they become stooges to politicians, and they get sofas stuffed full of you know notes and that kind of stuff. And take over troubled and failing countries. But, but generally, uh, British Army is one. I, I came across a, a mission-focused company, Remitly Global, over in Seattle, who oh, yeah. uh, Lee and I love working with them, um, because they really, they're trying to help immigrants send money back to their loved ones. Mm. And it's about the love and the connection with what they're doing and making it as easy and as simple for them to do that. And then something like a, a British charity I know, the NSPCC, the National Society for yeah. Prevention of Cruelty to Children, um, where Sir Peter Wanless, uh, I was lucky enough to coach Peter and his, his board, uh, and he's been CEO for a while now. And he really cares about what they do. Uh, and they've got a lady who's 106. She's been fundraising for the NSPCC for you know many years, and she's 106. Wow. That's um, phenomenal. Just, just phenomenal. It gets that kind of loyalty and that kind of cause to prevent this cruelty, this awful stuff mm, that people mm. will do. Now, you know, many people will get more excited about the RSPCA, the Royal Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, than they mm. do about children. And sometimes we spend more on our pets than we do uh, some people spend on their on their children. But, but I think whatever your passion is, I think when you've got a charity that's really doing good work. And his mission focused, it really matters. With the caveat that sometimes I've come across one or two pretty unpleasant people who claim to be leaders but are actually quite toxic. But they go, "But I'm a good person because I'm working for a charity." So yeah, it's like, it's like saying Lance Armstrong. We, yeah. we mentioned him last time. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, what about you? What what inspired Jimmy Savile? Oh, oh. Did I say it? Yeah, you did. That's, that's exactly. That's all you need to know. Like, yes. Okay. 
and, and it, uh, it, they, they, they do prey on the vulnerable in every sense. Yeah. You know, they, they find a charity, they, they prey on that, or they give, get a veneer that I'm doing good stuff because yeah. I'm working for this, helping everybody else. What, what about what about your organizations? What about the good ones? Yeah, I would. Um, I think that obviously there's some amazing work happening in the organizations that you mentioned. Um, I would probably think that there's a whole bunch of listeners who aren't fortunate enough to work for those organizations and maybe just work for very normal organizations mm -hmm. that don't have obvious mission statements. And maybe, you know, their mission is to make money. Um, so they're trying to find some meaning in all of that. And that that's probably the challenge. It's probably 95% of it, isn't it? You know, I'm the CEO yeah. of XYZ widget company. Yeah. What, what do I do? Right. Um, I would sort of caution against the idea of, you know, living by a mission statement alone. I think that's, you know, um, I've got one here, for example, where I'll read to you. It says, we work with customers and prospects openly, honestly, and sincerely. We're committed to operating safely and conducting business worldwide in compliance with all health safety laws and improve the lives of the people in the regions in which we operate. You know, that's very vanilla. That's kind of what you expect of a mission statement. Um, that was on the placard in the headquarters of Enron. Oh boy. And I think that just goes to show the, what mission statements are and what they can do. You know, that has no impact at all on the, you know, the DNA and the running of the organization. So I think it has to come down to the day to day stuff. Like, you know, you can have great mission statements, but toxic people and toxic DNA. And that's why it's so important that daily, I mean, the Japanese have a word, which is Kaizen, which basically means constant improvement. And mm. um, if you look at the work of Toyota, for example, I know they're a boring manufacturing company, uh, but I really believe that they live with purpose and their purpose is to improve the lives sorry, not improve the lives, to, to do better every day and to service the community in which they operate. And the community doesn't just mean their employees, but also all the suppliers around them. You know, they are the one company that doesn't lay people off like the other manufacturers. Mm. You know, they want to keep people on. They see it as a partnership long-term. I think that's just being good. Like as, as an automotive manufacturer can be, that is a good mission to do that very well. And I'm, I'm impressed by how they do it. Mm. You know, that is, it's to do it with that, focus and passion for detail and love of, you know, constant, you know, uh, respect and service for the craft. Right. Yeah. You know, that's not an obvious one. They're not like going to Mars guys, but to me, it's like, who's doing the most good here at the end mm. of the day, they're employing hundreds of thousands of people and, and putting food on the table. Right. Mm. Yes. It, it doesn't have to be dramatic and, you know, world beating while well, those are all great. But just it's the way that they treat their people and the way they do live their values that matters. So take uh, the Panama Papers, which I mentioned last week and the mm -hmm. moral question with Mossack Vonseca, this uh, law firm that was morally and financially corrupt to the core. You know, all the the uh, mafia and people like Putin and others were using them to have shell companies to hide stuff. And, and they were saying great things about their governments like Enron did, mm. but they they were paying some of their staff who worked there and signed off as, as managers of these various shell companies, uh, a pittance. But yet they were multi-millionaires themselves, the two Mossack and Vonseca. Um, 
So, wow. so if you find yourself in an organization that really is, um, I don't know, lost its way, don't stay. It's like, like working for a psychopath. You won't change them. They're, they're just rotten to the core. Get out. Get, get away. And get you've out, done that. Leave them. Like, listen, go back to listen episode two with yeah, us, yeah, yeah. Jonathan's experience of working with a psycho. Yeah, yeah. You, you just you just have to get away from it because they 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 have no meaning and purpose that fits with how they're behaving. Their their mm. rhetoric and their reality are misaligned, and then just then you, you know it. And, and, and people go, oh, I'm surprised eventually it fell apart. Well, when you look back at these things, you could have seen them happening. I mean, I was just reading just now about the fact that Trump did a deal with the Taliban in Qatar <laughs> in, two, in 2020. And after that, the Afghan government were just puppets. They just they were they were dead in the water. And, and, mm. and, and, and it took 18 months for it eventually to all collapse. But he didn't get around to telling the British that he'd done this particular type of deal and what it meant. And so there was this sudden panic and all these Afghans left behind and all the interpreters. It just was a, a shock, a, a scandal, a just awful way of doing a dirty deed and not mm. telling people what you've done. Um, so on from inspiring organizations and uninspiring organizations to inspiring books. We're almost mm. at the end, Graham. Um, mm. What uh, books have you found are really good on meaning and purpose that you'd recommend? Um, yeah, this is a good question. I'm going to pick the ones that aren't set out to talk about meaning and purpose. Uh, I, I, I'm aware of the books that you're going to share. There's some, um, you've kind of got in there before me, <laughs> some of the ones that I would have shared. But um, I would pick some ones that aren't obvious. So George Orwell, mm. homage or homage to Catalonia, wow. which I, I really enjoyed reading. Um, everybody knows George Orwell for the obvious 1984 Animal Farm, but to me, his best writings with the other stuff. Homage to Catalonia is, I, I just think it's a wonderful book. It's just about a soldier's life. So he signs up to fight the, the, the fascists in the Spanish Civil War, you know, pre-World War II, fight Franco. You know, so he's on the, the side of the, the socialists, if you like, because they were the, on the anarchists, they were like a coalition, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Really interesting. I got a quote from it. Um, again, it's like, it's really links into what we've been talking about today. And he said that if you asked me why I had joined the militia, I should have answered to fight against fascism. That's the purpose, right? And if you asked me what I was fighting for, I should have answered common decency. And I feel that that's kind of like your soldier's lot, isn't it? Is that, you know, you've mentioned, for example, you know, like with the, the Taliban example, you know, that these people have, I'm not talking about the Taliban, I'm talking about like the American forces, right? They, they have mission statements, right? But the, the issue is like when you have people that don't act out of common decency, and yet here's George Orwell who went off to fight fascism, but what he found was just this shared common decency, this belief in values, that moral compass that we act out on a daily basis. And in the trenches, literally, you know, in these very, these, these Spanish trenches where they would spend months just not doing anything just rotting away you know starving freezing trench foot you know mm. being shelled all these kind of things being sniped mm. uh, and like with people who are literally 100 meters away from them mm. you know it's just finding decency in that and i think that is just a real interesting in, insight into purpose mm. that actually there are these human values that we possess they're very sort of zen like about it you know there's no sort of this big 
mission. There's these human values we possess that bind us all. And the challenge is not letting stuff get in the way of that, because when you can bring it back to that and make that core to what you do, then you can live a very purposeful and, and good life. I believe in a fulfilling life as well. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of unexpected book choice, but I want to put that one out there. George mm -hmm. Orwell, mm -hmm. homage to Catalonia. And if anybody's read it in the listeners, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it as well. Not one of those ones that they forced on you at A level, but you know, mm -hmm. actually read it because you enjoyed it. Yeah. No, thank you for that. Very powerful. Um, I think of, of the ones I've got, I think man's search for meaning is obviously one that you and I know by Viktor mm. Frankl, who, who uh, was being uh, experimented on by the Nazis in a concentration camp. And th this thing about when you have a clear idea of, of what you can control, your thoughts and your actions, um, but you can't control the external things that are happening and being done to you, I think it's very powerful. Uh, and then Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life by Dr. Wayne Dyer, I found very interesting about, about you know, when, when you are trying to work out what you want to do in your life and your sense of meaning and purpose, then a lot of the time our own thoughts get in the way of it. Uh, mm. And how do we get out of our own way with, with stuff that stops us achieving things that we want to achieve or, oh, I can't do that. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think those were, were two books. Um, any final thoughts, Graham, before we talk about a teaser for next month and appreciate um, any yeah, it's thought? been a good episode. I think it's challenging. It's challenging me to think about purpose as well and uh, really think it through. Mm. You know, like at the end of the day, what are we trying to do? We're trying to find it's the man's search for meaning, isn't it? That's really what it is. Mm. Like we started off today talking about Mount Fuji and ended up talking briefly about Viktor Frankl, right? It's that search for meaning, trying to find meaning. Like, why do you climb a mountain? There's no point in it, really, is there? There's no. You know, it's not going to help you, like you say, procreate and sustain your either your genes into the next generation. It's not going to help if that's the meaning of life, right? But it's finding meaning and stuff which has no meaning. Like climbing a mountain has no meaning. We create the meaning about that, right? And that's the point. This is all like purpose really is about finding meaning in what we do. Mm. And, you know, the key here, I guess the lesson learned is that you know, the meaning is really down to you to find it. And to it's a story you can write about purpose. There isn't necessarily just, you know, purpose doesn't mean going to Mars. It means whatever you think is worth your time and a good use of your skills and energy in this life, right? And I think if we can write that purpose ourselves, that meaning ourselves, then that's a good sign that there's a, that's where you've got those two versions of you in unison. Yeah, beautifully put. And, and I'd probably just build on that really with the, the stoic idea that we're here for each other. We're bees mm. of the same hive, that, that we're here to make things better for others for the next generation that makes our life meaningful and worth living. You taking your son up there, training mm. him, passing on skills, the way you are with people, the way you chatted to the 80-year-old lady that you met who, who just coming down from summiting. Because when we do that, we find happiness and respect for ourselves. It gives our yeah. life a sense of meaning and purpose. So just to remember that you, it's all about your learning and action. What have I learned? What am I going to do differently? So 
next month as a teaser for next month we're yes. very much looking forward to this graham and i love this whole area of hq it's a, the third of the components of inspiring leadership on the compass uh which you'll see in my website jonathanperks.com if you want to look at the different elements of it which is about mental and physical health and well-being it's about brain health as well so we're going to have mm. some great conversations because we both put a lot of time and effort into health well-being fitness and and pushing ourselves hard for that so we've been to the edge jonathan we've been to the edge. we've stared down the precipice <laughs> we looked I'm... over and saw ah! the dark abyss and <laughs> came <have> back <laughs> a little bit older and grayer yeah we definitely definitely have and and done crazy crazy things but let's talk about health and well-being it is so important to us yeah. our longevity and all that goes on so um if you have any questions drop me a note jonathanperks.com to my website um Please have a, a browse around at the other podcasts that are on there. There's 230 of them. So fill your boots. And um, next, uh, the final thing we'll do is end by appreciating one quality about each other. Do you want to go first, Graham? And then I'll I'll wrap it up with an appreciation of you. Do you want to begin with yeah, one, okay. one quality? Thank you. Yes. Um, you are very generous in, in, in not just uh, your, like your, communication your feelings and your emotion like you're open and honest and that that's really sometimes disarming you know like to to find somebody like that and it, it it's only a positive thing but i, I want to share this um quote which uh is from john krakower from the book into the wild and it says happiness is only real when shared and it's actually lifted from leo tolstoy i believe uh, but that's my appreciation of you because you you've created this this sharing moment which really to me it's like really a happy moment this this time that we have together if people listen to this that's great that's a bonus <laughs> honestly you know i think that's how you should go into everything not worry about the audience right just be really present and this this like you in some way are teaching me that like to be really present here connect and just kind of like drop the bullshit a little bit about myself mm. you know it's okay you're slightly older than wiser so i'm seeing how it's done how it turns out <laughs> so i really do appreciate that you know in a sincere way and i think for me it's kind of a, a I, i'm learning that lesson but not obviously so if that makes sense i'm kind of like oh, actually you know in, in time to come i'll see that as actually a turn not a turning point but it's definitely an inflection mm. in uh you know all of this so i really do appreciate that thank you thank you and well um really uh, makes me reflect there M my appreciation of you is um I, I just knew it was going to be such fun that we were going to have um in in just pulling up a sandbag swinging a lantern sharing, <laughs> sharing some I stories love that. together i would have steal uh, that so yeah so. yeah and and you can do it in a way that it's okay not to not to get it right or not to remember something or it'll come to you later on but but we we just have such a lovely um banter between us and and i do respect you for all that you've achieved what all that you've done and and how you show up i just i just love the way you show up so that's my appreciation of you so Thank Without you. further ado, I look forward to next month and talking about health and well-being. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Inspiring Leadership Podcast.